few months ago, I went and got Judah in the morning after he woke up, and I couldn't help but notice that there was something little in his pajamas under his foot. And it turns out that it was a little bottle of Origel, which is something that you use to soothe the baby's gums when they're teething. So somehow, this had fallen into his pajamas before bed, the night before, all the way down to his feet, and he slept. It never bothered him. I understand that this may not sound spectacular to you, but it is spectacular to me because Judah can't stand it when things are stuck to his feet. Let me give you an example. Like a lot of boys, Judah likes to play in the dirt. It's one of his favorite things. In fact, it's the reason we don't have household plants at our home. Because Judah will walk up to a potted plant and start digging around in it, throwing it everywhere and cracking himself up. A few church members got a glimpse of that not too long ago when Judah was outside brushing dirt onto the sidewalk and laughing after one of our services. But as much as Judah likes to play in the dirt, one thing he can't stand is when his feet get dirty. He'll be playing outside wearing sandals and inevitably dirt will get between his toes and under his feet and it drives him nuts. So much so that usually he won't keep playing until we've taken his sandals off and brushed the dirt off of his feet. And I know that one day he will probably get used to this. But for right now, Judah can't help but notice when his feet get dirty. So it's, it's funny to me how we do easily get used to things like that in this life. I'm sure all of us had that time as kids where we got used to our feet getting dirty. And that's true for a lot of things in life. The more they happen, the more we get used to them. Things that we may once have been unpleasant to us really don't bother us anymore because eventually we just don't notice those things. Well, sadly, there's a similar truth in our spiritual lives as well. That there were things that may have once been unpleasant to us as Christians when we were walking closely with the Lord. Things like sin or spiritual laziness or lack of fellowship with our fellow Christians. Things that eventually we weren't bothered by if we got used to them. Things that happened enough that eventually we didn't even notice anymore. These things were present in our lives. In the end, not only do these things distance us from the Lord and from our fellow believers, but ultimately they hurt the church. We're going to see more of this as we turn to John chapter 13, verse 1 together. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to follow along. John chapter 13, as we look at what dirty feet and dying churches have to do with one another. John chapter 13. As we briefly discussed last week, please keep in mind that as we pick up in John chapter 13, this is taking place. We are now in the final days of Jesus' ministry. He knows that his death on the cross has almost come. That is where we pick up in chapter 13, verse 1. It says this. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who are in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. 
a pastor said it well that as believers, we've heard this story so many times that we often lose the wonder of it. So believers, let's really listen to what is going on. Jesus' death is rapidly approaching, and he knows it. Not long after this, he's going to be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and condemned to death on a cross. Before that happens, Jesus is with his disciples, and only one of those disciples knew what was coming. And that was the traitor Judas Iscariot, who was preparing to betray the Lord. All the other disciples, they still struggled to understand what was about to come, but Jesus... He loved them deeply, those disciples. Jesus looked around the room at these men who had left their careers, their family, their friends, their old lives behind in order to follow him. He knew that they were imperfect. He knew that many times they struggled in their faith and in their understanding. He knew their fears and their failures, and he loved them. Believers, remember that Jesus knows our fears and our failures. He knows the times that we have struggled and will struggle in our faith, and he loves us. Jesus also knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he would soon return to the Father. Jesus knew the power, the authority, and the position that were rightfully his. And it was in all these things that Jesus, the Son of God, Savior and Creator of the world, got up in front of his disciples, prepared what he needed, and then bent down to wash their dirty feet. You see, people in that day, they wore open sandals, which one person described as, a soul with straps to connect it to your feet. That's all that it was. And the streets that they walked on, they were very dirty. So that means that their feet got dirty whenever they left home. For that reason, it was customary that when an individual came home, a household servant would come and wash their feet and the feet of any guests that came with them. It was an undesirable job, as you can probably imagine. And it was a job that was given to the lowest of all the household servants. And it appears that the place where Jesus and his disciples were eating had all the necessary supplies, water, basin, towel, but no servants and no one with a servant's heart. This wasn't just an unwanted job in society, it was an unwanted job among the disciples too. So we read that Jesus got up and washed their dirty feet. Jesus, the Savior of the world, stepped into the lowly role of lowly servant. How do you think that change things when Jesus started doing this. I think the atmosphere in the room changed. I would imagine the conversations stopped as they started to realize what the Lord was doing. It's probably that type of moment, that type of silence where you could hear a pin drop as they watched their Lord wash their feet. Now one disciple did break the silence. Let's look at verse 6. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands, my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. You'll notice as we read that, that none of the disciples said, as Jesus started 
washing their feet. None of them stood up and said, guys, we can't let Jesus do this, our Lord. None of them said, no, 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 Jesus, we're wrong. I'm sorry. Let me clean everyone's feet. None of them said that. And at least Peter said, Lord, you can't wash my feet. Then later he said, well, then wash all of me. And as admirable as Peter's heart was, Jesus is going to use this situation to teach the disciples two lessons. Now, the first one was a spiritual lesson. Jesus tells Peter that a person who already had a bath and who was wholly, entirely clean doesn't need to jump back into the tub when their feet get dirty. And he said, you are clean, though not every one of you. Now, Jesus wasn't saying that someone there forgot to shower that day, but he was speaking spiritually. There was one individual in the room who was not spiritually clean, who had never come out of the foul stench of sin and depravity that the other disciples had been rescued from through faith in Jesus. Now, that sin-stained man was Judas Iscariot. Believers, once we put our faith in Jesus as our Savior, we are wholly, entirely clean. That is, we have been set free from sin. We are eternally forgiven. We're set free from the penalty of hell. We've been justified in God's sight. That's why Titus chapter 3, verse 5 tells us this. It says, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. But while we are saved from sin and its consequence as Christians, we still fall short in this life. We still sin. We wander from those straight paths and green pastures that the Lord leads us to, and there are many times where we walk in the filth of the world. In other words, our feet get dirty. So we often need to come to Jesus Christ for forgiveness. We don't need to jump back into a bath and be saved all over again. Once we are saved and set free, believers, we are free indeed. But we still come to Him for forgiveness for forgiveness of our sins when we wander from the Lord, not to be washed in salvation, but to be cleaned up and restored into that sweet fellowship with Jesus that we wandered from. That's why 1 John chapter 1, verses 8-9 through 9, tells believers this, because if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So Jesus tells Peter that this foot washing is important. This foot washing here symbolized fellowship with Christ, not freedom from sin. It symbolized sanctification in our faith, not the salvation of our soul. Clean feet don't give us a part in Jesus. Only clean hearts do. And that comes through faith in the Lord. This they would understand later. There was still a lot the disciples didn't know, didn't understand, didn't fully grasp. Right now, all that they knew is that their Savior was washing their dirty, grimy feet because none of them had been willing to do it. The Savior of the world served his own followers who weren't just a group of men that struggled to grasp spiritual truths at time. This wasn't just a group of individuals with physically dirty feet, but they were a group of proud-spirited men. The book of Luke tells us that it was during this same meal that the disciples spent time arguing about which one of them was the greatest. These were the people that Jesus bent down and served. 
what depth of love and humility and grace displayed by Jesus Christ towards his imperfect people. The same depth of love, humility, and grace Jesus displays towards his imperfect people today. Before we move forward in the text, keep in mind also that there was someone in the room that was not one of his people, who was not a child of God, but a child of the devil. Keep in mind that Judas Iscariot was still there, which means that Jesus cleaned the feet even of that traitor, that very individual that Jesus knew was going to betray him into the hands of sinful men for 30 pieces of silver. And on his part, that means that Judas watched Jesus clean his feet and had no change of heart. Last week we talked a little bit about hard hearts. This is a hard heart that hates God. Yet Jesus washed his feet. Jesus had given them a spiritual lesson. Now comes the practical one. Look at verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. The disciples knew and understood that the greatest one there was Jesus. But while they were willing to bicker among themselves about who was the greatest amongst the disciples, while they were content to sit there with dirty feet, they were unwilling to wash one another's feet. So Jesus, who left the glory of heaven and his throne, Jesus, who was preparing to die for our sins, to be mocked and crucified, Jesus performed this lowly task because his disciples weren't willing to do it. There were dirty feet in that room, and those dirty feet were a sign that there was a lack of humility and love and servanthood among the Lord's disciples. If they had servant hearts, feet would have been clean before dinner. If they loved one another, they would have served each other. Then the argument wouldn't have been who was the greatest. The argument would have been who got to serve one another that evening. And Jesus tells them that if he, their teacher and their Lord, was willing to do this, shouldn't they be willing to do the same? Believers, we know that we aren't greater than our Lord and our Savior. And if he was willing to stoop to the lowest position of service for others, then what is our excuse in those moments when we refuse to serve the Lord? And when we refuse to serve his people? Is it that we think in those moments that those individuals aren't deserving of service? Look at the disciples. These proud-hearted men were busy arguing about their greatness. They didn't deserve this. Judas Iscariot certainly did not deserve this. Jesus served them. Is it because we think at times that we've done our part, we've served enough, that maybe it's time to retire from service to the Lord? Keep in mind that in this moment, Jesus was on his way to the cross. He had already healed countless people in his ministry. He had served for quite a while, yet he served to the very end. If he was willing to take the role of servant, shouldn't we? 
The practical lesson he was teaching is that his followers should follow his example by serving one another. Not because we have nothing better to do, not because we deem the other person worthy, but because our Savior commanded it and gave us an example of it. In fact, if we think that we are above serving others and are unwilling to do so, really that shows that we consider ourselves greater than Jesus Christ. Because even he stooped to the lowest position to serve others. Believers, serving one another is a distinguishing mark of Christians because it should stem forth from our love that we are supposed to have for each other. The sad thing is, for some believers, we've, we've lost sight of this. And for many of us, early in our faith, we were passionate about Jesus, and we were passionate about His church, and we may have even served with that same passion. Then somewhere along the line in the busyness of life, maybe, maybe we stopped. Serving became a hassle, became a burden. We put it off. And then without even realizing it, we stopped altogether. We don't even notice anymore. And churches that are filled with believers who don't serve each other are churches that are full of dirty feet. The disciples probably thought about their feet when they arrived because it was customary to clean your feet when you came in. But no one stepped up to do it. So they sat down with dirty feet, they started eating, and they probably forgot all about it. Their dirty feet revealed their lack of humility and love for one another. And when a church is filled with believers who don't love one another, it's going to be full of believers that don't serve one another. Without service, there's a lack of humility. Eventually, we get used to those dirty feet. Those are unhealthy churches, and in my opinion, those are dying churches. A church cannot long sustain itself when its members are unwilling to serve the Lord and serve one another. You see, just as servanthood is a distinguishing mark of a healthy church, dirty feet are a distinguishing mark of a dying church. So this past week, when we were monitoring Hurricane Elsa, trying to get ready for our midweek services, see what's going to happen, I pulled up a video on my phone. I wanted to see the track that it was on, and I had just started the video when Casey leaned over and looked and said, oh good, we're okay. I just started the video. So I asked her why she was so confident. She said, well, his sleeves are down. <laughs> Maybe you know what that means. I had no idea what that meant. So Casey explained. She said, that weatherman is known for rolling up his sleeves and loosening his tie when things are bad, when the weather's about to get nasty. He said his sleeves are down, his tie is straight, so we're okay. I didn't know about this. I had no idea that the weatherman's sleeves and tie could be a sign of danger and bad things to come. And I think most of us don't realize that dirty feet are a sign of danger and bad things to come for a church. Many dying and unhealthy churches are full of believers with dirty feet who are waiting to be served rather than to serve. That attitude of the heart indicates that those believers are either too proud or too self-focused or too unloving to serve their fellow believers. And a church in that situation won't only struggle to function properly, but soon the unity of the church will dissolve. The Great Commission focus will dissipate, and soon the doors will close. FBCO, Jesus called his followers to be servants one another. In this way, we, we honor our Lord. We follow his example. We love each other, and we ultimately serve him by serving 
one another. It's one of the signs of a healthy church, believers loving and serving each other. That's the church striving for maturity, living in unity, bound together in love, and that is the type of church we should always strive to be. Remember this truth, believers. Thriving churches serve, but dying churches are waiting to be served. Let's remember that. Thriving churches serve, dying churches are waiting to be served. If we are servants of the Lord and we know that he is greater than us, then we ought also to serve one another. Now, please understand, I'm not trying to say I think First Baptist Church of Oxford is filled with dirty feet. That's not what I'm saying. In fact, I'm often encouraged by the believers, both members and regular attenders here, who are quick to serve. I'm encouraged when we have an area of need, when we have believers stand up, raise their hand, and say, I can do that. I'm encouraged when we have an area of need, and believers stand up and raise their hand and say, I can't do that, but I'll try. I love that. And I know that we have many believers here, and I'm thankful for them, who strive to follow our Lord's example. But believers, we should all examine ourselves this morning and ask whether or not we have a heart to serve our fellow believers, or whether or not we have dirty feet, and have maybe gotten used to that to the point that we've ignored the needs of our fellow believers. If so, then we need to go to the Lord in prayer and repent of any pride and self-focus in our lives. We need to go to Him so He can clean us up spiritually so we can get back to physically serving His church. Then let's serve our fellow believers together. Find a believer in need of help, encouragement, prayer. Bear their burdens. Serve within the ministries of the church so that they can thrive. We were meant to serve one another just as our Savior demonstrated. To have humility like our Savior showed. To love others the way that he did. And believers, that love that we have for one another, soon it will spill over into our love for unbelievers as well. And we want to be a church constantly reaching others out of love with the great news of the gospel. So if you are here and Jesus Christ is not your Savior, you have never prayed and given him your life, gone to him for the forgiveness of your sins, I want you to listen to something Jesus said. This is found in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Jesus said, Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If you're here and Jesus Christ is not your Savior, we saw an example of the fact this morning that Jesus came to serve. Let me just share with you what it means that he came to give his life as a ransom for many. The Bible says that the problem is that you and I have sinned, all of us have. We've broken God's commands, done things that are wrong. And the reason that's a problem is because our sin deserves punishment. And the Bible says the just punishment for our sin is that at the end of this life, we will be separated forever from God in a place called hell. And I'll be honest with you, the bad news gets worse. We can't make up for our sin. No matter good works, church attendance, giving, none of these things can save us. That's why Jesus Christ came. To give a, his life as a ransom for many. When Jesus Christ came, he lived a perfect life, and at the end of that life, he willingly died on the cross for you and me to take the punishment, the penalty that our sin deserves. After he died, he was buried, and three days later, he powerfully rose from the dead, proving that he's no mere man. He's the Son of God, the Savior, and the only one who can forgive us of our sins. And when we put our faith in him, we receive a pardon from that penalty of hell. We receive that forgiveness. We enter into a relationship with him, and we receive eternal life. If you have never done that, please understand that the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord 
and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And if you've never made that decision, I hope that today you will. Would you pray with me? Friend, if that's you, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, but you are ready to do that, please know that Jesus has been waiting for you. That free offer of salvation and forgiveness is waiting. You just need to go to Him right now. And in faith, pray to Him. Admit that you know that you are a sinner. That you trust that He died on the cross for your sins. That He didn't stay in the grave, but rose from the dead. And give Him your life. He'll forgive you of your sins. He'll save your soul. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that if there is anyone joining us who has never made that decision, that today they would give their life to Jesus Christ. For those of us who have, thank you for the opportunities that we have to serve one another. I thank you for the believers here at First Baptist Church of Oxford who are so faithful to do that, who are so eager to serve their fellow believers. But Father, all of us at times go through moments where, whether it's through lazy or disobedience or whatever it might be, we stop serving. And then we get used to it. I pray that you would wake us up in those moments. Open our eyes to what we have stopped doing so that we would get right with you and then get back to serving you by serving your people so that you'd be glorified and you'd be honored. Father, we love you. But you proved when you sent your son to die on the cross for us that you love us so much more and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.